This morning, um, I, I want to kind of pick up on something that we left last week. And there's a lot, and I know I'm not going to get through all of this, and so I'm going to say that up front. Um, but I do want to uh, take some time and go a little further down down the road. We talked about building last week. Uh, I asked you the question, what is it that God is doing? And... Um, it's a question that you're always going to have to ask yourself. Lord, what are you doing? So that we can become a part of that. Uh, uh, and so I, I want to go down that road. I want to change the tack a little bit, however. Usually when we, when we talk about these kind of things, I want to give the broadest picture. But this morning, I want to make that very personal for each one of you and each one of us. Because I believe God really wants to challenge all of us to a whole other level of engagement with Him and with one another. So let's just take a moment, pray, and commend this time to the Lord, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Father, I thank you because you have been gracious. You have been a loving God who, when we were enemies, it was you who drew us. We didn't choose you. You chose us, which is what your word says. And so we are grateful we are very grateful, Lord, for the mercy that you have extended toward us and the grace that you have made available that when we were your enemies, Lord, in many ways, many of us, not only were we not seeking you, we had decidedly chosen to go our own way. We were an active and open rebellion against you. And yet you, out of your great love, reached out and apprehended us for your purposes, the greatest of which is the salvation of our souls, Lord, that we get to spend eternity with you and with one another. And so we say thank you. Lord, this morning I ask that as we, you have met us in worship, that you would open our ears, awaken our ears, give us ears to hear that which you are saying, that we might be able to hear, to, to respond appropriately, and to give ourselves to that which we hear in obedience. Father, personally, I ask that you would help me that as a servant, as your servant, Lord, that, that I might be faithful to you, to that which is in your heart. Lord, help me not only to speak and declare your word, but that I might convey your heart as well. These are your people. This is your word, and they are your purposes. And so, Lord, this morning we commend both the hearing and the declaring of your word. We commend that to you, that you would help us in, in every aspect so that at the end of the day, you would be glorified and your kingdom would be extended. Thank you so much, our God and our Father. Amen. Amen. Well, um, last week we, we began by looking at Matthew 16. I want to actually start there for a moment because I want to revisit very, very quickly some issues from last week. The, part, the particular portion that I want to look at is in Matthew 16, 18. I don't want to read the whole passage, but just simply that piece that says, it says in verse 18, I, say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We, we pointed to the fact that the church belongs to Jesus. It's the only thing on earth that he ever said was his, and that he is the one that builds the church. We don't build the church. He's the one who builds it. I, I, I didn't share this earlier in the earlier session, but I want to say this as a heads up for all of us. And you may or may not be aware of this, but the truth of the matter is we cannot work for God. Only he can work 
through us. And so it's important, that's a distinction, that only he can work through us. And so we need to understand that, lest we somehow think that, God, I'm bringing something for you. You're not. He's, he's showing us great mercy by saying, I will work through you. So the question last week was, what is it that he's doing? Well, according to Matthew 16, 18, what he's doing, what he has been doing, he's building his church. And you and I are a part of that. So he's building his church. How is he doing that? I want to suggest, I didn't mention this last week, but I want to give you a list of four things that are a part of his building. And keep in mind, this is what he's doing through us. Number one, he's restoring ancient ruins. We're living in a time where the church is, church is 2,000 years old, and much has changed. What we see now is not what he had in mind then. And so he's restoring this to what he had in mind, uh, restoring, uh, rebuilding ancient ruins. The second thing that he's doing is laying or raising up age-old foundations. You can't build a building without good foundations. And most of us have inadequate, if any, foundations. And so we're in a time in this season that we're in now where God is laying, relaying foundations so that what gets built on top of that really endures and is functional. If you have a bad foundation, you generally don't find out until you get a superstructure above ground. And then you start to see things start to happen. Things start cracking or tilting or whatever. So uh, we're in a season where his, the second how is that he's raising up age-old foundations. The third thing that he's doing is uh, uh, repairing breaches. It's the broken places. Boy, I'll tell you, if there is a time that characterizes broken relationships and issues, all you got to do is watch the news along racial lines, cultural lines, gender lines, generational lines, all kinds of breaks. And so we're in a point in time where God is raising up his church to address those issues, broken relationships, reconciliation, if you will. Fourth thing that he is doing is uh, restoring the streets in which to dwell. I used to wonder what that was. In essence, what that is is this. Every city has its infrastructure. We normally deal with the church in terms of our own particular congregation or denomination, but there is a church across the city. And in the city, we, we are a part of that church. The truth is there's only one church in Cleveland. It meets in many congregations, but there's only one church. Because of that, there is just as in any uh, uh, metropolitan geographic area, there is a need for an infrastructure so that all of those who are there can really uh, take the benefit of those underground uh, and undergirding structures and such. And so it's no different with us. The larger church here in Northeast Ohio has several things, connection points, where we can all benefit from those. The ministry that, that uh, uh, Pastor Clint mentioned is one of those that, that I work with, and I won't go into all of that because it's not my purpose. I just simply wanted to suggest that there are those four things that are a part of what God is doing right now in our time and in our lives. He's rebuilding ancient ruins, raising up age-old foundations, repairing the breaches and restoring the infrastructures, networks and connections and so on. Now, why is he doing this? I mentioned this last week, and just by review, I just want to go very, very quickly and enumerate those for you again. Why is Jesus doing this? Number one, uh, he's, he's building his church because we are called, as the church, to overpower the gates of Hades. We had a little bit of a discussion last week about Caesarea Philippi and the place of darkness and where Jesus literally was standing when he said, I will build this church. And so we are here uh, to overpower the gates uh, of Hades. The second reason that we are here is to be his agent. 
He has authorized us to rule in the earth. He's not here, and so we are here to, to rule in his place. He's given us authority to do that. And so it's the place of the church. We're not here to just have uh, uh, celebration services on Sunday morning. We are here to extend his rule and his reign into all of the places. You all will be somewhere tomorrow. And it's those places that you will be where your assignment is. You extend his reign into that place. So we are the agents in the earth. The third thing that we talked about last week is that the church is being built so that we can put him on display. We are prophetic in that response, in that uh, respect. That largely where you see us, and remember what I said, he's the one who works through us. So where you see us and we are yielded and submitted to him, guess what he's doing? He's ruling and reigning through us, just like he did with Joseph, just like he did with Daniel. Whatever your sphere and your realm is, there are the natural things that you do, but then there are those supernatural things. Why? Because he is the one in you doing the work. So, so he is doing this so that the church can put him on, dis- on display. When the world sees the church, they see expressions of the fullness of Christ. And by the way, New Song Church cannot do that by itself. No congregation can do that by itself, but it's as we are connected and joined with one another that we begin to see more of the, the uh, fullness of who he is. The fourth thing that, that he does through the church is that he makes known his manifold wisdom to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is what that means. We're making him known on earth. He makes us known in heaven in terms of his manifold wisdom. Let me tell you, let me give you a little of what that looks like. Do you remember in Genesis 2 how he formed man? He formed us from the dirt and shaped and molded us and then he breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living, man became a living soul. This is just how bad God is. He says, watch and see what I do. I'm going to take dirt. I'll form dirt. I'll make it into my image and I will put my life in my spirit so that all that I am you will see through these dirt creatures that I brought to life, his fullness. And then he puts it on display to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Remember how he bragged about about Job? There's no one like him. Well, guess what? He wants to boast about his church. That's what it says in Ephesians 3, okay? The the last reason, and this is probably the most important, the ultimate reason that he's, he's building his church is to glorify himself. We are his body. We reflect all of who he is, and it's through us that, that that rule is extended to the whole earth. As I live, says the Lord, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. His desire, his ultimate purpose is to fill this orb that he's put us on called Planet Rock or 30 Rock or Third Rock if you watch the, the stuff on TV. Uh, his whole purpose is to fill this place with his glory, and how is he going to do that? Through you and me. So he is building. That's what he's building. That's how he's building it. And that is why he's doing this. Now, what I want to do over the next uh, uh, few minutes or so is to take a look more specifically, not at the bigger picture. I want to look at us. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Let me read this to you. It says, and, and by the way, keep in mind, this is Peter who's saying this. Remember last week we talked about the rock. What's the rock? The rock, some people say Jesus. Some people say it's the confession that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. Some say it's Peter. And then we talked about literally that place at Caesarea Philippi that was a rock 
that he was standing at. Well, I just want to point out as we read 1 Peter, keep in mind, I'm more and more intrigued by the fact that he may have been talking about Peter. That on this rock, because who preached the first sermon that the church was built on, uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost? Do you know who it was? It was Peter. So the Jews got the message, and then just a few chapters down, and you go to Cornelius' house. Who was it that went to Cornelius' house? It's Peter. So Peter, Jesus says, on this rock, I, I think to some degree there may be some validity to that. You are a rock that I'm building on. Now, he didn't attribute anything else to him beyond all of that, and we talked about some of the challenges. But nonetheless, it was Peter. So keep in mind, this is Peter who's writing this. Second Peter chapter 2, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being, and look at this, built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to say real quickly, he didn't say you were building. He said you are being built up. Keep in mind, Jesus is the one who builds. Verse 6, for this, is, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but those, for those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you... New song. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is a long way from what we actually do. That is so far beyond that. I'm praying that God will expand your appreciation for what he's doing and what he's called you into. It says in verse 10, For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is talking about this issue of of Jesus as a living stone, but then he says, But you are living stones, and you are being built up as a spiritual house. In, in, In those days, the primary material for building was wood. Carpenters didn't work nearly as much with wood as they did with stone. And so this is Peter who's talking about this issue of building. And he's saying, and you all need to consider that we are living stone. Say, I am a living stone. It's important to understand that because the church is a living building. And I could give you reference after reference. I don't have time for that now. But I could give you all these references that refer to the church being built and growing at the same time. In Ephesians in particular. Then in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, this is Paul writing, says, For we are his workmanship. Whose workmanship? Yes, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Jesus is building something. What he's building is us. We are his workmanship. You and I are the thing that he's working on. And so, What I want you to understand this morning is that for anyone who is building, I'm not a master anything. I worked for a guy for three years who was a a general contractor, and I (laughs) I was the gopher. I got real good at tearing things up. I was real good at demolition. But the issue is this. I learned that if you want to do a job, and if you're especially engaging 
in, in construction, the thing that's important is that you have good materials, that you have excellent materials to work with. Um, if you work with woods, you understand that there's a difference between working with oak and working with a pressed wood veneer that has an oak, oak veneer on it. Do you know that with pressed wood, with paneling, you can't sand that stuff? You can't adjust it. You can't change it at all. But boy, you get a good piece of oak and you can sand and shape that thing and you can stand it. You can make it a glorious thing. But you can't do that with inferior materials. So here is Jesus. He's building something and we are the materials. We're living stones. There was a quarry that he got us out of. And I said last week, there's no difference when you were in that quarry between you and any other rock that was there. There was no difference except for the fact that the builder came and said, I think I want this one. And you got taken out of the quarry. So, so what we're looking at is a matter of a living temple with living stones. Now, Peter talks about, is talking about stones. I don't want to talk about us as stones so much as I want to just refer to us as the materials. Because the thing that we need to understand is that the builder is working with the materials. And it's those materials that represent our lives and what he's doing so that you can cooperate with him and not work against him. Now, um, this is a living building. And in dealing with materials, I want to point to a four-letter word. Usually people get a little nervous when you start talking about four-letter words. But this word is one that you are all very familiar with. E-A-C-H. Each. Each. Let me just read you a couple passages. I won't read all of them, I just, but I just want to give you a couple of them so that you, you start to get the picture, I hope. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says this. This is Paul. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to read three verses. Verse 7, verse 11, and verse 18. Listen to what it says. Verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. In Romans, and I won't read the entire passage, I just want to read a portion of this thing. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, for through the grace given to me, I say, to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself so as he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he goes on to talk about if prophecy according to the proportion of your faith and so on. But it's this matter that, that, that in every one of these situations, there is an each that that we're looking at, that we're considering. Let me ask you the question. Little four-letter word, each. What does it mean? You think about it for a minute. Each. We use it all the time. Let me tell you what each means. Each means everyone considered individually. So when you hear every, you think of all of us. When you hear each, you think of Every one of us, but considered individually. So what is it that, that you see in the scriptures is taking place concerning these materials? You see that there's grace that's given to 
Each one. There is not an exception to that. Every one of you sitting in the chairs right now have a measure of grace that's been apportioned to you. And you need to utilize that grace as God has given that to you. Then he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 that there are these manifestations of the Spirit that are given to each one for the common good. There are nine gifts that are listed there. Now, if he says each one, let me ask you, are there exceptions to the each one? No. No. Nine gifts. There are more gifts in the, in the New Testament, but there are nine that are mentioned there. And he says now each one is given for the common good. So here you've got the Spirit of God, and he's giving gifts. If you don't know your gifts, then let that be an assignment for you. Or at least make yourself available and say, God, I want to be used because those gifts are all given. Now, everyone who's here has a gift and at different situations, maybe different gifts. Some, some theologians look at that a little differently, but there are gifts that you are to be employing for the common good. And who gives the gift, by the way? The Spirit of God. It says in, in, that, in that first passage in Ephesians that grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then you've got uh, also in, in 1 Corinthians 12, mm. <laughs> Verse 18 says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Who placed the members in the body? God did. As he desires. I spent two years trying to find a church. I used to hitchhike out to um, Youngstown. This was back in the day when you could kind of do that a little safely. But I did that. You know, that was 45, 50 minutes going back and forth. And I looked for two years and then I found this passage and I realized it ain't my choice. He places us in the body just as he desires. Many of you are here because you know, God, you placed me here. For those of you who are questioning, you need to find out. And once you hear and once you find out, then get on with your business. Just as he desires. Why? Because the members, the materials, and the house all have purpose. There's nothing gratuitous about what God does. There's nothing random. He's not subjective. What he does, he does for reasons. So so your place is according to his prescriptions and his specs. Uh, He's allotted a measure of faith to each one. He distributes. You get the point that I'm making, that the fact that you are an individual sitting here has some real significance. You're not just one of several folks who's kind of collected in a room. You are a part of something that he's building who has individually a part and purpose in all of this. That's why it's so important that you get this idea of, of, of uh, 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 the living stones because you are one of those living stones. By the way, God never intended for us to have buildings. Now, I don't want to go down that road either. <laughs> but let me suffice it to say this. The reason that we ended up with the tabernacle and temples was because of the fall. God always intended to dwell with us and in us. Man's sin separated us, and so God couldn't dwell in us. And so the best thing was to give us a pattern of what was going on in heaven so he could say, now let me make a provision in terms of atonement so that we can have this relationship together. So he had to kind of do a workaround if you deal with computers. He had to do a workaround so that he could deal with us. That's how we got a tabernacle and temple. But when Jesus came, 
He dealt with all of that. And so what does he do now? He says, no, no, no. I want to dwell with you and be in you. And so living stones, you have the living stone in you to function according to his purposes. That's important for you to understand. So now as, as stones, as, as materials, I'll, I'll put it this way, as materials, it's important that the condition of the materials is, is superior, that is optimal, so that the building itself becomes everything that it's created to be. Now, um, I want to make a reference to Genesis 1. It's not up there, but just follow with me. Um, we all know the scripture. We know the issues concerning Adam and Eve. But in Genesis 1, this is what it says in verse 28. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you know what that was, that passage? When God made man and woman, the very first thing that the scripture said that he said is this. He gave them a commandment. Four things. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and rule over the fish of the sea. Now, here's the thing that, um, that we all know, but I'm sure most of you have never thought about this. How did God make Adam and Eve? I mean, you know how you got here, and I know how I got here, and I went through this whole period of, of, of infancy and adolescence and, and, and so on and so forth. But you realize he didn't make Adam and Eve that way. They didn't show up as babies. They didn't show up as babies because there was a need right out the gate for him to give them, here are your instructions and here is your job. So he required at the very beginning maturity and completeness. He built that into them. They didn't show up as cute little six, six months old, like little, little uh, Emery. No, they showed up as fully grown and mature and ready to function. Why? Because the first thing he said to them was, be fruitful and multiply. The next thing he talked about was filling the earth. You got to fulfill something. Then he said, subdue the earth. It means cultivate this place. They had a job to do. And then the last thing that he says is rule. Every one of those four things that he commanded took maturity. It takes maturity to do that. So what God did at the very beginning, he built that into them. I think that is the most amazing thing that God could build into two individuals all of the maturity that was necessary for his purposes. Now, he didn't do that with us. He didn't build maturity in us, but he built it into them. That, that shows you just how amazing God is. He can build time into something where there is no time. For me, I love science, and, and I'll tell you something. With the expanses of the universe, and I, I'll do the math, 186,000 miles a second and light, and, and you know, 50 light years, 100 million light years, all of that stuff, some folks just glaze over with that. I don't. I love that stuff. But here's the thing that I recognize. God did that from the very beginning. He built in hundreds of millions of light years just like that. So he builds that in, but he doesn't do that with us. He didn't do it with you. He didn't do it with me. So we come here as these cute little babies, and we have to deal with that. I have six grandchildren. My youngest is little Aaron. Aaron is a really cute little guy. But Aaron is... He like every other little baby. He's, he's, he's one of these little guys. If you get in his, in his way, and, and we've watched it with the other kids, and, and he wants to do something, and you're in his way, you know what he does? He 
I just push them right out the way. Do you know why? Because these cute little babies that come in here are, in, are, are in, they're just intensely self-centered. The issue, the issue of immaturity is that it is self-centered. They cry. Why are they crying? Because I'm wet. Why are they crying? Because I'm hungry. Why are they crying? Because I'm poopy. Then they learn that all they need to do is do that and you'll give them attention. So why are you crying? Because I want your attention. That's what they do. And so that's the way we show up in this thing. And unfortunately, that's the way many of us remain. It's not bad to be that way when you're six months old. There's a problem when you're 60 years old and you're that way. You understand? Because then you got bad materials. And so you got to work that out of things. And so here is, here is, here is God who, who has made us. And he's got in Adam and Eve, he's got this expectation of maturity. Why? Because they're here for a purpose. And in order to fulfill the purpose, you got to be mature. And so therein now is the challenge. Um, Lord, help me. I'm, I'm kind of looking through this as I'm, as I'm going. The thing is, remember we, we refer to the fact that in Genesis 2, he breathed into man and, and the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There's another four-letter word that, that we need to talk about. That word is L-I-V-E, live, life, L-I-F-E. How do you define that? Because we use it all the time. It's important because we are living stones. So life is an important issue. Let me give Excuse me. Let me give you a definition of life. It's a little lengthy, and if you don't get it, I'll be glad to see you afterward to repeat it for you. But this is, this is just a great definition, I think, for life. Define the condition that distinguishes organisms from inorganic objects and dead organisms, being manifested by growth through metabolism, reproduction, and adaptation to environment through changes originating internally. Now, most of you glazed over when you heard that, because there's a whole lot in that. But let me just, let me give you kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of that. Life involves growth. And that growth takes place in three ways. Metabolism, physiologically, you're growing. Your body is growing and maturing. And remember the thing that he said, the first thing was, be fruitful and multiply. So you need that. The second thing is, or, or uh, you, you grow and mature Physically, the second thing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, is reproduction. And that's the issue of be fruitful and multiply. The third thing uh, of growth in that condition of maturing is internal, what I call internal responses. That I have an ability, ability as a living person to respond to things internally as I am able to think, feel, so our emotions, our intellect, all of those things, we grow and we mature in that. You think for a minute, for those very four things that God said to Adam and Eve, they needed growth in every one. They needed maturity in every one of those areas. We tend not to have that. This is what, what the writer of Hebrews says in verse five, uh, chapter five, verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse 12 through chapter six, verse three. It says, for by this time you ought to be teachers, which points to maturity. You have need again for someone to teach you, speaks of immaturity the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, immaturity, and not solid food, maturity. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Verse 14 in chapter 5. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Maturity in Christ is not like a job. It's not like a matter of seniority. I've been on this job for 40 years and so it's a sign to me I'm mature. That's not how this thing works at all. As a matter of fact, you can be on the job for 100 years and still be very much immature. But maturity comes as a result of, of responding to the things that you walk through in a way so that out of your response, God brings certain changes in you internalized sense of discernment because, Lord, as I walk through this thing, I'm listening for you so that my responses are good. And as I respond well, you do something in me. Let me say this. It's not nearly as important what happens to you as how you deal with what happens to you. Those are the important things. And so, so you've got God who's looking at us and he wants to bring us to a place of maturity. He wants to internalize in us certain things so that our responses are good. Let me ask you, what do you do for those who bless you? Or I'm sorry, who curse you? I'm sorry. What do you do with those who curse you? Before you knew Christ, what did you want to do with those who who cursed you? Bless them with a brick. Somebody takes your cloak. What do you do? Give him your coat. What happens is the more you do those things, God is shifting and he's changing you and you are learning and discerning internally right responses from him. So now you've got the writer of Hebrews who's looking at all of this stuff and he's saying, now wait a minute here. You all have been doing this thing a long time, but, but because you haven't put into practice those things, you still need milk. You still have these elementary principles. In, verse, in chapter 6, verse 1, you know what he actually says? It starts out by saying, leave the elementary principles. Leave them. And then he enumerates what they are. Repentance, toward, uh, repentance from dead works, things not uh, initiated by God. Faith toward God. Baptism, do you sprinkle, sprinkle or do you dunk them? Holy Spirit issues, laying on of hands, gifts, all of this stuff that we're talking about here. Resurrection, you know, you lay your life down, you'll find life. Then there's the heaven and hell thing. Do you realize that in many seminaries, those constitute systematic theology for preachers? The writer here calls them elementary principles. He said, leave that stuff. Most churches, now it doesn't happen here, but most churches are preaching from one of those six things every Sunday. He's saying, leave this. I want you to learn to act upon the circumstances. Because he actually says, press in. Press on into into maturity. Push past the easy stuff and say, I want to lean in to have godly, right responses to the situations that I am facing. Now, what maturity then therefore is, we said that immaturity is self-centeredness. It's what babies do. Let me tell you what maturity is. It's to be God-centered. Flat out, just it's to be God-centered. As materials, 
that are being living stones or living materials, your job is to be God-centered in how you see things. Let me read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll only read portions of this. I don't want to read the whole passage. Chapter 2, verses uh, 6, verse 6 says this, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. So Paul is actually saying, I'm trying to talk to mature people here. Now, Corinthians had some problems. But he said, I want to be, I, I want to, to, to address the mature who are here. It says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Verse 8, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Three verses, he talks about wisdom five different times. God has a wisdom. God has a way of approaching things that is entirely different than how we approach things. We grab low-hanging fruit and we put our own spin and our own read and our own solutions on those things. For someone who is, who is mature, they, they understand. No, God, you have a way of seeing this. Help me to see this this way. Then further down in verse 9, uh, at the end of verse 9, it says, things which I have not seen nor ear heard, which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. There are six things that characterize maturity in there. First of all, there's this matter of God's wisdom. You orient your life around the wisdom of God. Maturity brings that. Number two, it talks about at the end of of verse 9, God has prepared those things for those who love him. There's this matter of purpose. Those who are mature don't center their purposes around their lives, but around the will of God. And so there is this, 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 this hunger, this desire, this, this uh, uh, posture that says, God, it's your will that I want. The third thing, it says, it's the hidden things of God. Verse 10, for, God, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Do you realize that what God does with the things that he treasures and values, he hides them. He hides them. And he only reveals them to certain ones. Last week when I read in, to you in Matthew 16 and Jesus went through that whole thing with Peter in terms of who do you say that I am and Peter had answered well and he went to the whole thing about the kingdom but the very last verse, I think it's verse 12 of that passage, you know what he told him to do? Don't tell anybody this, what you just said. I used to, that, that's like, wait a minute, there's this whole thing about who you are. Why do you want to tell anybody? Because he said to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. You only got that by revelation. Why? You didn't choose us, I chose you. God hides the things. That, if, you, if you're ever kind of bored some night and, and want to be fascinated, watch and see what God does with things that he considers valuable and important. It's fascinating just the way it is. But anyway, I move on. Um, it says then at the end of verse 10, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. There are some things that are so deeply rooted in God that he's only going to reveal those things as you hunger and thirst. And you really have to lean in to him, you know? God, I don't want just, I want to know those things that you, heart cries or deep cries unto deep. There is that place of intimacy, Lord, where I really want to know 
what you are doing, what you are thinking. And so those are things that maturity brings. As a matter of fact, the very next uh, verse, in verse 11, it, says, it talks about the thoughts of God. Do you know what God thinks about certain things? How does he feel about it? I think the truth of the matter is most of us really don't know what he thinks. And the only reason is that we're more caught up in our issues than in God's issues. It was Peter's problem. You're not seeking after God's interests, but after man's interests. So maturity, maturity sorts all of that stuff out. And then the last thing that he says uh, there in, in verse 12, says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. I just saw something about this week that just, it just messed me up. And that was this, because it, it talks about uh, the things freely given to us by God, which we also speak in words taught by human wisdom, not in, those ta- uh, not, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. If I walked up to all of you all and said, I got a $50,000 check for you, we would all, we'd fall over one another to get that thing. But do you realize that God is saying things all the time that are worth far more than that $50,000 check. I have been in conversation with folks and they just casually say something. It's like, whoa, you know, it just, it changes things. It changes your life. Why? Because there's something that God is saying, spiritual words, spiritual thoughts that he's giving now to you. You think back at significant times when you have heard things, those are things that he has given to you. Would you trade that for a $50,000 check? Kids want candy. When you get my age, you realize, man, there's something that's far more valuable than the candy. But that's, that's an indication of the mature. Now, here's what I want to do. I just have a few minutes left, and I, I knew I wasn't going to get through all of this, but I wanted to talk about something that, that I think would be helpful to you. Because we've talked about immaturity. We're, we've talked about maturity. How do you get there? What does the builder do? to bring you from that place of inadequate building material to one that is superior building material. And I want to suggest uh, two things to you, and then I will close. I collect ships. I have about 20 or more sailing ships. They're wooden ships. Um, I, I went to a stupid yard sale and bought three of them, and then I was hooked. And so... I kept them in my house, and I think I mentioned before, I, I just got this obsession with these ships. And it came to a point where LaWanda said, Carl, don't bring another one of these things in my house. She didn't want none of the boats. I have books. My office at my house was literally, when you walked in, there were lithographs and drawings and paintings and books and, and my ships. And then I got sextants and all of this other stuff. And it was just, there was just the thing. And I asked the Lord at one point, I said, why the ships? Why am I interested in the ships? And it was interesting because I wasn't interested in powered ships. I was interested in sailing ships. And he said, the issue with the sailing ships is that they are directed by the wind. And that to me was just this picture. Lord, it's your spirit who goes where it wills. You, you can't see, but he's the one who's directing. So that was a lesson that I had to learn. And I thought I was through until I went back to Ephesians 4. Now, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I just want to read a little portion of that because it points to the first of those. It says, as a result, 
Ephesians 4, by the way, talks about the fivefold ministries. But in four, verse 14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the craftiness, and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. I had a friend who preached a message once, and she started her message this way. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up. And that went on for several minutes. But that's the message here. Grow up. And Paul in particular makes this reference that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. I was interested in that issue of being tossed because, I, 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 like I said, it's the boats. And so I went to a concordance, or not a concordance, commentaries. And I started to look through commentaries, and there came up a word that I thought I understood. As you can tell, words mean things to me, and I'm always intrigued by them. Well, this word was ballast, B-A-L-L-A-S-T. Any, any of you here know anything about sailing? I only knew ballast because lights, like the ones that we have here, have a ballast. But I didn't understand that meaning. Let me read to you the definition of ballast. Ballast is a heavy material such as gravel, sand, iron, or lead placed low in a vessel to improve its stability. Heavy material put in the boat so that when the winds are tossing, the thing remains stable. The morning that, that I got that, Lawanda and I, it, it was, we were on our porch, and I said, Lawanda, where is that verse that talks about a weight of glory. I couldn't remember where it was, and so neither of us could. So later on that week, I, I looked it up, and this is what I found. And I may only be able to give you one of the two things, because I, I really do want to, to close this well. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, this is what it says. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not of men. That's important, because the power is of God, not men. Verse 8, and listen to this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death, for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so the death works in us, but life in you. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but through, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being delivered day by day. And then verse 17 says this, for momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What the builder is do doing is allowing circumstances that as we go through those circumstances and look to him, he shows up. He doesn't change the circumstances necessarily. But when he shows up, he sustains you through the thing. He provides for you through the thing. He fellowships with you through the thing. And when you do that over and over and over again, your confidence starts to be, man, when I go through these difficulties, he's the one that's going to be with me in this stuff. So rather than get all thrown around, what happens? What do you have? Ballast. 
This eternal weight now is in the bottom of your boat so that when the storms come, you just keep going. He uses this stuff. He uses the challenges, the difficulties, and the trials. And he creates this weight so that you navigate through those things well. And in doing so, he's shaping and molding you as a building material so that ultimately he can put you in the place that he needs to. I, 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 there's, there's more that I'd love to, to touch, but we can't this time around. We'll just have to save it for another time. But I know that talks to all of us because we're all going through things. And we'd do anything in the world to get out of those things that we're going through. My encouragement is don't try to get out of it. Lean in. And look to the one whose power gets you through that. Don't even try to necessarily change the circumstances. Unless he wants to change them, then Lord, I don't ask that you take it away. Just walk me through this thing well with an awareness that it's your power and not mine so that my confidence is in you. Amen? Amen. Can I do this? Can I just pray for... I would love to pray for you all because you're in a key time right now as living stones. He is building something, but he has made each of you to be a critical part of that. My, well, let me just pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name yes. that each one of these who are sitting would hear you and understand that you who are the builder, you who are sovereign over everything, know before they get to the trials, the trials that they'll get to. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that each of them would, would have the presence of mind and the, and, the, and the nudge from your spirit, not to look to their own devices, their own strength, their own resources, but that they would look to you and that, Lord, as a result, they would simply yield to your hand, surrender to you in the circumstances and allow you to do that work which you would do. Father, I pray that you would place ballast in their lives so that they can navigate the storms because the storms will come. May they navigate those storms, Lord, and not be tossed, not be disturbed. Lord Jesus, your word says that we are your workmanship. And Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would have your way over your workmanship. Create superior material that become an awesome vessel which ultimately glorifies your name and extends your kingdom. Lord, it is for your glory that we ask all of these things.